Let us go across to the other side. Today's gospel begins with that line. And that line is one that I would like to focus on this morning, not only by way of helping us understand today's gospel, but because Glenda will be, be preaching next Sunday, by way of my wrapping up what I want to say about our sermon series on Galatians. We've been hearing this passage from Galatians through the month of June. In the gospel, it's getting late in the day, and Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. He and his disciples get in a boat. A huge storm comes up, and it's a terrible storm. Waves are crashing over the sides of the boat. The boat's filling up with water. The disciples are in a panic. They're afraid they're going to drown. And keep in mind that at least some of these disciples are experienced fishermen, old salts, who must have seen their share of severe storms. This storm is real. It's overpowering. It's more than they can handle. And they're in trouble. Where's Jesus? In the stern, stretched out on a pillow, asleep. Here they are, in their hour of need, seemingly about to drown, panicking. And Jesus is taking a nap. What are you doing? They must have thought. They wake him up. They say, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus says, peace. Be still. He says that not only to the sea and to the wind, but to them. Peace. Be still. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? As the biblical commentator David Jacobson points out, when Jesus silences the storm and rebukes it, those words, silence and rebuke, are two verbs that are exorcism words. They are exorcism words common to the rest of Jesus' kingdom ministry in the Gospel of Mark. The storm in those verses, in other words, is cosmic, it's demonic, and it's worthy of Jesus' scaled-up efforts. So this passage, this gospel passage, invites us to think about power, powers, powers and principalities that threaten God's kingdom coming, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Back up a minute and remember that God has stated God's intentions for us as humanity. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. God has stated God's intentions for religious people. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God's intentions have been clearly stated. God's intentions for worship, for prayer, 
for all religious practices. God's intentions for those things are to lead us to connection and compassion and engagement and joy and purpose, a life truly lived, not sleepwalked through. That is God's desired outcome for us. But as we're painfully aware, that kind of life is not automatic. Human nature being what it is, sin being what it is, this life, this intended life, this way of life, living that way, is opposed. It's opposed by what the Book of Common Prayer calls Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, evil powers of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and sinful desires that draw us from the love of God. Our desired outcome, our best life, is not automatic. It's opposed. Because, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage in Galatians, there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. By the way, I like and I recommend reading the message paraphrase, as long as you remember that it is, in fact, a paraphrase, not a translation. As Eugene Peterson is the first to say, the message should be read alongside a scholarly translation, a study Bible, upon which you rely for accuracy and use but to use the message for interpretation and application. But the reason I like the message paraphrase is that too often, scripture passages get domesticated and too familiar to us. They lose their original shock value. They lose their freshness and their everyday relevance. Listen to how Peterson goes from here and paraphrases the works of the flesh. There is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are contrary to each other so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled, 
and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? And then listen to how Peterson paraphrases the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. God brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure we do not hold it just as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit in every detail of our life as individual Christians and together as faith communities is God's stated intention for us. Loving God, loving neighbors as one's self, is God's desired outcome for worship, prayer, church. In other words, worship, prayer, religious practices, they're not boat rides any more than Jesus and the disciples were taking a leisurely boat ride for the sake of it. Worship, prayer, religious practices are not boat rides. They're not ends in themselves. Rather, worship, prayer, and religious practices are boats, vehicles, means to an end, things that are meant to carry us from one way of living to another different way of living, to the other side. And that different way of living? It's as people who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with God. That different way of living, that other side, is people who love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors, and love ourselves. That's where we're headed. That is where we're headed, as to become more and more in our everyday lives loving people. So that even when storms arise, 
and great waves crash in on life, even when we're overwhelmed and it seems that we're perishing and it seems that God is sleeping through it all. And we wonder if God really cares. We can hear, be still, have faith, faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, being convicted of things you don't yet see. Have faith, be still, because the one who has said, let us go to the other side, is in fact with us, does calm the interior and exterior storms of life, and in fact is day by day, hour by hour, taking us and making us into the people we were created to be. Thanks be to God.